You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. Folks, it would make a good gift during the holidays. And say I never gave you any good ideas. Today, I talked to ESPN's Mike Rothstein, who covers the Detroit Lions. We talk about Matthew Stafford's future. Would he be available for a team like Washington this offseason? He also talks about old pal Adrian Peterson, and Mike gives some insight on Logan Thomas and J.D. McKissick, both former Lions. Then I chat with former NFL scout Tyler Roman about, once more, fantasy football. Some good plays for this weekend, plus a bonus. We discuss BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. Tyler used to scout college prospects, so this is right up his alley. We give you a little taste of some things to consider this offseason. Don't forget you can read my work on ESPN.com. Follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Rothstein, R-O-T-H-S-T-E-I-N, and Tyler at NFL Scout 21. And now, here's my conversation with ESPN's Mike Rothstein. Well, now I'm joined by Mike Rothstein, who covers the Detroit Lions for ESPN. Mike and I cover franchises that haven't done a whole lot in the last however many years. And, you know, we could go way back, I guess, to 1991 and talk about that playoff run that the teams made. But Hey, it's the hell on day for the Detroit yeah, Lions. <laughs> there you go. So, but I want to get to this current crop and I want to start, Mike, with quarterbacks because that's always the topic here. And Washington almost – assuredly we'll be looking for a quarterback in the offseason is Matthew Stafford going to be available do you think so that's one of the biggest questions now I think that surrounds the Lions like there's a few storylines that have existed kind of throughout this season right and even going into the season and one of them was well what's going to happen with Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia the general manager and head coach and tied in with that is if Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia end up gone, what does that mean for Matthew Stafford? And that is now even more of a question because things are not going well in Detroit. They're three and five. There just doesn't look like there's been major progress. Sheila Ford Hamp, the new owner, has basically said, hey, there needs to be major improvement. And I mean, you ask Matt, I asked Matt Patricia on Sunday, well, where is that improvement? been even this year from week one to week eight and he pointed to like punt rush and some individual people so that generally means yeah not so much on the improvement (laughs) so all that that's a longer answer to say there is a chance Matthew Stafford will be available at the right price the Lions aren't going to cut him if anything if there is a if 
if this regime stays and its status quo, then Matthew Stafford stays, although his contract ends after 2022. And at some point, the Lions are going to have to make a decision whether or not they want to sign him again. But if there is a new regime, I don't know. Again, they won't cut him, but they could make him available by trade. Or what they could end up doing is kind of what happened to Alex Smith in Kansas City, where you draft a guy that you try to groom maybe to be his replacement for a year, right? And then you bring him in. And we've seen that time immemorial around coaching and around quarterback situations that that's just what happens. Eli Manning would be another example of that. Over and over and over again it goes. So I would say if Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia do lose their jobs – then I think there is a chance that Matthew Stafford will be available. I don't think he would come cheap. I think that you're probably looking at a pretty hefty trade package back. I don't know what that trade package would be because in part, it we don't know who's making that decision sure. and who's making that call. But I think that that's something to watch if you're Washington of can you get Matthew Stafford? Can you get him maybe at a reasonable price? Because that's the thing too is if they make Matthew Stafford available and if it becomes clear that they are, how many teams are going to maybe be interested in getting him? Because you have to think that if you're drafting in the top five, you probably have a shot at one of the three quote-unquote franchise guys, potentially as of now in the draft, whether that's Lawrence, who's going to more than likely go number one to whomever's taking number one, Justin Fields or Trey Lance. If you can't get one of those guys or you think you're closer And I think there are a few teams that you can look at that say, well, you're close, except for a quarterback. San Francisco, one. Tampa, another one, if, say, Tom Brady retires. You know, maybe even New Orleans in that situation if Drew Brees were to retire, although they do have Jameis Winston there. So you see those things. If If you think you're that type of team, I think that's more attractive than a rebuilding team, which is why maybe Washington, to me, wouldn't necessarily be a fit for Stafford, but he could be available. And I, I, I agree with that line of thinking as well, because I don't know that I would give up that much capital for somebody in his position with the contract and all that, given where they are in their rebuilding. Where is he at as a player, do you think? And I haven't been able to see him a whole lot this year. Where is he at as a player? I think he's, I mean, still a good quarterback. Let's Let's start there, baseline. He's still a good quarterback. Is he playing at the level he was last year before the back injury? No, he's not. There are flashes here and there of that player that he was a year ago when he was really playing at a Pro Bowl level pace. And frankly, had the Lions been better, he might have been in some sort of fringe MVP conversation, obviously would not have won that award because of what Lamar did last year. But this year just hasn't been there. He's throwing some more interceptions. There were a couple yesterday, a couple on Sunday that were just bad throws, put it in a bad spot. There was one against Indianapolis, put it in a bad spot, didn't see the nickel, and became a pick six. He's done that a couple of times this year. But I don't know how much of that is Stafford regressing versus him trying to do too much because he knows their defense is bad. And he'll never come out and say that, but you look at what's happened. They've gotten double-digit leads, and this was more early in the season as more of an early season problem than the problem now when they're just kind of losing games. But – Early in the season, they would get double-digit leads, and then their defense would falter. And it felt like so often the pressure was on Matthew Stafford's shoulders, and he was maybe pressing a little bit too much. You might say, well, he's in his 12th year. Why would he be doing that? And it's because, I mean, 
you're trying to win the game, right? So all of that's, again, a long answer for saying, I think he's still a good quarterback. I think he's a guy that still would have five or six potentially good years left. He'll be 33 by the time next season comes around. So that's kind of that, you know, mid to back end of a prime for a quarterback. Although I think some of the top end quarterbacks are maybe re- readjusting that calibration of what we consider a quarterback prime. So I think he's a guy that, I mean, he's good. I, I would rather have him on my team than, you know, two thirds of the quarterbacks in the league probably. So that, I think that tells you probably where you're at with him. Washington knows Detroit's running back pretty well. Adrian Peterson. I can look at the numbers, and I, I think it was like the last five games, it's 2.82 yards per carry. Not very good. So what's going on with Peterson and that run game? Yeah, it's, you know, last week was was good for AP because he actually increased his yards per carry for the first time all season from the week before. Now, it was hard to get much worse because I think that it was like 1.6 yards per carry against the Colts, so you couldn't get too much worse. But, you know, it's more a function of how they're using him. Basically, he gets the ball, and more often than not, I think it's like two to one, he's running up the middle. And if he's not running up the middle, he's running over a guard. So you're not seeing him really get, you know, those off-tackle type runs, those get-to-the-outside type runs. Now, that's not always been his game anyway, but he also is 35 years old, as you've seen in Washington. He doesn't necessarily have that same burst that he did as a younger player. So he's still effective in fits and starts. I think he's still effective when you give him the ball that first time, maybe that second time. Uh, but if you're starting to give it to him two, three, four times in a row, the returns really diminish. He's also a player that while he's helpful when it comes to play action, you also kind of know what he's going. you're going to potentially be getting when he comes on the field. Like, it's not like a guy like DeAndre Swift where you can have a little bit more of unpredictability because he can run the ball. He is a really good threat out of the backfield. Peterson isn't that. He's caught a few passes here and there this year, but he is largely a runner. And he is largely a guy that they're going to send over Frank Ragnow or over one of the guards. And, you know, it's worked in some instances. He's been their goal line guy for the most part as well. That has led to two plays where, frankly, it cost some touchdowns because the offensive line just kind of collapsed around him. The offensive line's been a little bit hit and miss lately. They've been shuffling around some guys the last few weeks, and it's been rough going for him. You know, it just hasn't really worked. Even last week against a Minnesota defense that was not particularly good against the run, and every running back on the Lions had a good yards per carry day. Adrian Peterson still only had 3.6 yards per carry, which was worse than DeAndre Swift or on Johnson when it came, came to that. And we've seen Peterson's workload diminish kind of a little bit week over week. So it feels like he's being a little bit phased out, but some of that could be due to game script in that when they're behind, you're not going to play Adrian Peterson as much because of what he doesn't give you as a pass catcher. And that would, that would go on here too as well. And I think that was one of the reasons why they cut him is because they weren't sure could – first of all, they had other guys ascending Antonio Gibson. I think they weren't sure how he would accept the role that that like Peyton Barber's playing and, and not doing it very well, to be honest, but you know how he would accept a lesser role. How has it been up there with that as it's gone on? I mean, I think he's accepted it. Again, we're not in the locker room this year, so it's tough to get a true gauge. 
sure. you know, a lot of a lot of what we get and with Peterson there and really with their entire running back room, with the exception of carry on Johnson, I've never met these guys face to face. They, they come from Scarborough and, you know, carry on has carry on's been around, but they drafted Deandre Swift and then, you know, they signed Peterson after camp. So I've never met these guys in person. So it's tough to get a real gauge for how they truly feel about their role. Peterson's saying the right things. He seems to be enjoying being with Daryl Bevel again. They're continuing to give him the ball even when he's been unproductive. So I think that that shows that there's a willingness to keep going with him, at least in some form or fashion, even if it ends up only being eight or nine carries in a game. So I think in so, and they're doing they're sticking with him a lot early in games. It's just when it gets late and they're down, that's when they go away from him. So he still has a role, uh, but you know it's not like the beginning of the season against Arizona. He was their guy, and really against Chicago, he was their guy, and against Green Bay, he was their guy. It's been less that and more of an emergence of DeAndre Swift, which a lot of people figured would happen at some point. The argument I've made is why you're not going with on Johnson over Peterson. And I think that's because they probably did tell Peterson he would have some sort of role. But on Johnson looked way better than Adrian Peterson did on Sunday. And on Johnson hasn't had a carry before Sunday since week six. So it, it seems like they're trying to figure that out. And it's maybe a little bit week by week. But I imagine Peterson will have a role, particularly this week. Why is the defense so bad? Oh, man, how long do we have? <laughs> how, how long? How, how long do you want me to go for? I yeah. mean, it's we'll get the Cliff Notes version. Yeah, here. it's. I mean, the Cliff the Cliff Notes version is they they didn't put a lot of investment in their defensive front. The investment they did put in was with older players. Was and they can't stop the run with any sort of efficiency. They did it for two weeks and they were all excited. And then, I mean. The combination of Jonathan Taylor and Jordan Wilkins with Indianapolis and then Dalvin Cook the last two weeks has completely shredded them. The The secondary is inconsistent, but that's also because they're not really getting a lot of pass rush outside of Romeo Aquara. Trey Flowers is on injured reserve. They pick up Everson Griffin. Everson Griffin was largely, other than a pass, pass deflected, was a non-factor on Sunday in his first game against Minnesota. So they just don't have a pass rush. They've struggled stopping the run. The linebackers really have had issues getting off of blocks, being in the right position. And that's left the secondary in a very vulnerable spot. And beyond that, you, you've you got a guy who's inexperienced in Jeff Okuda, but incredibly talented. So teams are kind of picking on him a little bit. Amani Awarie, who actually had an interception last year against Washington, has, to me, played fairly well, but now that Desmond Trufant's healthy, it's not even clear how much Awarie is going to even play because you kind of have to play Okuda. Tracy Walker is theoretically their best safety. He's been inconsistent. He also missed Sunday. We'll see if he ends up playing this week or not. So they've relied even more on Deron Harmon, who's been their other back-end safety. And it's just, it's a defense that frankly doesn't have a lot of playmakers on it. They have a lot of nice, they have a lot of pieces that can complement each other well and can fit in a system and that's kind of what Matt Patricia seems to want he wants guys who are versatile but they don't have that big time edge rusher 
that they had when Ezekiel Alonso was healthy, you know, but he just couldn't stay healthy. They don't have that true lockdown corner, which you can argue for fits and starts. That's what Darius Slay was over the last few years. Uh, obviously, they, they traded him in the offseason. So they just don't have – the Glover Quinn, another guy who was very consistent and a playmaker. Obviously, he retired a few years back, and they haven't done a great job of replacing him adequately, although they did trade for Harmon, and Harmon's played well this year. So there are there are pieces, but just as a whole, it's just not coming together. Too many guys are inconsistent. Too many guys are hit and miss. And the last couple of weeks, they've even struggled making sure they had 11 on the field defensively. Three plays in the past two weeks have had – 10 guys on the field, including a two-point conversion, and that Dalvin Cook 70-yard run, 10, 10 men on the field. So there, there are issues on that side of the ball kind of all over the place. Last thing, Mike, two guys, Logan Thomas, J.D. McKissick. Logan Thomas having some success here. J.D. McKissick playing a big role. You surprised at what they've been doing here at all? McKissick, yes and no. I mean, it seems like they're using him very similarly how Daryl Bevel was using him early on last year. And then, kind of inexplicably, they went away from J.D. McKissick. Even though J.D. McKissick had shown enough as a receiver where he could be effective, not so much as a runner, but as a receiver, and that's clearly what's happening in Washington, it's been good to see him get that role in Washington. I think that he's fit that role well. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of what I – mean, you, you would be able to speak more to this than I could, like to what they maybe had in Chris Thompson before that. So – I, I'm not surprised at that. Logan Thomas was an interesting situation because he really outperformed Jesse James, who they gave a big money contract to last year. And he was pretty good. And, you know, I, I'm not surprised that he's playing all right where he is. Or is it, or is it in 18 that he was here? God, all the years are running together now. I apologize. He might. It was, 18. It was last year. It was last year. Okay, thank you. I don't know why for a second I brain farted and thought it was 18. Um, these seasons do run together. They, they do, fans. man. Uh, especially with that tight end be- tight end room because really under Matt Patricia, that tight end room has been a consistent cycle of um, just different guys every year when it has come to the Lions. I mean, and who who's been their top tight end, really, because they had Levine Toyolo, and Luke Wilson at one point, and then last year it was Thomas, and it was Jesse James, and it was Hawkinson. This year it's Hawkinson and James, and Isaac Nada. Um, yeah, they, Logan Thomas. Uh, it, it's good to see him doing what he's doing, but to me, he's always been just kind of a guy, right? Like he'll be able to give you a little bit, maybe surprise you with a touchdown here and there, maybe surprise you with a three catch game here or there, but that's going to be what he does for you, and. So it's, I think that's who he is as a player. It's been really cool to see him transition as, from his role as a quarterback. So interesting little nugget with him. The Lions actually signed him to the practice squad when he made the decision to transition from quarterback to tight end. And they had a complete plan for that transition. It was going to be a multi-year process. Bob Quinn knew what he wanted to do. It's how he sold Logan Thomas on the plan. And then Buffalo came and scooped him up for their 53-man roster. So that a day later. So that was the end of that plan. <laughs> and he obviously developed as he developed. He ended up back in Detroit eventually. And, you know, now he's in Washington. But it's been cool to see that he's been able to really, you know, resurrect his career after it really didn't go well as a quarterback 
uh, early on. Yeah, and listen, if things go poorly for Washington, he might get, he might get snaps there again as an emergency quarterback. So, well, that, yeah, we'll that, that was the interesting thing in Detroit too last year when they were going through all their issues. Was you kind of sat there and like, well, do you go to him at some point? I was surprised that they never ran a trick play with him. Well, they right. ran some wild wildcat. They've run some wildcat with him this year. So yeah, we'll see. He's been it, and I was and he's, surprised there. He's been a good story for them. I think his future is as a number two tight end, but they didn't have a number two tight end before he emerged. So that's fine for them. So, Mike, I appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks for coming on. Hey, no problem. Anytime, man. After this break, I'll be back with a conversation with Tyler Roman as we discuss good fantasy football plays this weekend, plus an early scouting report on BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. You've heard me talking about Lone Oak Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lone Oak Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, LoneOakCoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right, put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E, OAKCoffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. All right, Tyler, back again with some fantasy football talk. Who do you like for some good plays this week for the fantasy football folks? Well, this week you got a guy like Jacoby Myers who had a breakout game on Monday Night Football against the Jets coming off 169-yard performance. He's had 28 targets over the last three weeks, which is Puts him in the tier with guys like DK Metcalf and Juju Smith-Schuster over that time period. And he's got a lot of opportunities coming for him. You know, no one else in that offense has stepped up. So Cam is really locked on to him. So I think that's a guy uh, people should pick up. And he's a starting option going forward, at least in your flex position. Quarterback-wise, Tua Mania looks like it's hitting Miami now. Coming off a great performance against the Cardinals, almost 300 of total yards, uh, two touchdowns. And I really like the way he – Moved in the pocket, very Russell Wilson s that I saw. But yeah, I think he's another good option for guys to play this week. He has the Chargers this week, and they've given up 30 points in four straight games. So he's a solid play this week. You got Jerry Judy from the Denver Broncos, the rookie from Alabama, one of my favorite receivers coming out in this past draft class. He had 125 yards and a touchdown. Clear number one for Drew Lock Lock right now, and a solid flex option as well. And then one other name, a. Uh, name that a lot of Washington fans are familiar with is uh, Jordan Reed. Uh, he returned last week, coming back from injury uh, for the 49ers. Only had one catch, but he was kind of on a snap count. Uh, he's going to be the starter there going forward with Kittle out. All Washington fans know when he's healthy, he's a great player. And it's always when healthy. So hopefully he's going to stay healthy for them and get some targets for them. And the tight end position around the league this year in fantasy has been kind of on, on the down. So I think if you guys can pick him up and start him going forward, I think Jordan's a solid option. What about a guy like Duke Johnson for Houston? 
What do you, what is your take on him? With because I think David Johnson's there's some issues there, obviously with the injury. Yeah, Dave, I think has a concussion or something. But yes. Duke, I mean, he's he's always been kind of more of a guy to the backfield. He doesn't get as many carries. Um, I think he's a solid option in a PPR league, you know, point per, per reception. But I don't expect him to get a lot of carries. I mean, he'll get an uptick, obviously, with David out. But I think obviously it's more same kind of his his uh, talent has always been out of the backfield catches. Uh, getting that way. So like I said, PPR league, Dujoxin might be an option, but if you're in a regular standard scoring league, I don't think it's too much to think about uh, picking him up. And he also is playing the Browns this week, whose defense is, has, they have not been very good on defense, his former yeah. team. So you never know how that plays out. What about, what do you, with, with Tua in Miami, is there somebody that you see like, okay, you pick up Tua, but is there someone else that you would look at in that passing game who you think is a, just a good play to pick up because of Tua? Well, I mean, Devontae Parker, I mean, he's already probably picked up in most leagues. He's a probably. Good, good receiver. But Preston Williams is a guy I think he did, I mean, he did get hurt this past week, but he had looked in Preston's way the last two weeks a little more. He's a undrafted well, second-year player from Colorado State. So Preston Williams, he has a high, he's a high, high upside play, in my opinion, um, if he's healthy. But like I said, he got banged up last week. So he's someone to consider. And Mike Kosecki, a tight end as well. Um, he had, he's been down the last couple weeks, hasn't got as many targets, but he's a talented player. So I think if he gets a report going with Tua, you know, tight ends are sometimes quarterback's best friend. So if Gusecki's available in your league and going back to my earlier point with the tight ends play, it's been kind of down to fantasy. So Gusecki might be a nice option there as well. Last thing I want to ask you about, because you've actually gone back and now studied this guys and we're switching gears completely here, but this is going to apply to any team that needs a quarterback, including Washington, Zach Wilson from BYU. I know you studied him recently. Mm-hmm. What did you, what did you find about him? Well, Zach Wilson, he's, he's a talented guy. I, I uh, watched the BYU game, excuse me, the Boise State game extensively, and it was probably the best matchup he's going to have. They've had a softer schedule. BYU was ranked going in, but BYU won 51-17 over Boise State. But Zach was great. He was 21-27, 359 yards passing, two TDs. I like the guy. I mean, he has a really confident swagger about him, a nice little moxie, um, good pocket presence. He is a really quick and strong release That's you know, something you look for in your quarterback effortlessly, honestly, the arm strength that he possesses on film. I, I, I do like him a lot. He sees the field well. He doesn't look overwhelmed at all too much in the pocket. He's very calm back there. He knows when to leave the pocket. He knows when to stay in and take a hit because he took a couple hits actually on Friday and gets Boise State and stood in there in the pocket and made a nice throw. He's mobile. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of Joe Burrow, the way he moves. Um, and, you know, the way – because Joe Burrow is sneaky athletic, and he's made some nice plays for the Bengals this year with his legs. And, you know, at this point, I mean, I'm going to watch him going forward and go back to some other games as well. But, you know, I think he's definitely a first-round player. I mean, at the worst, a second-round player. But if he keeps playing like this and, you know, how quarterbacks meteorically rise throughout the draft process, I think Zach Wilson will be a top-15 quarterback – excuse me, top-15 pick come April. What's is there one thing that would concern you about him? There was a couple of things that I saw a little bit like situational awareness wise. He took a sack late in the first half, held on the ball way too long. He's got to know he's got to get rid of that ball um, just because, you know, in the situation. I think there's a couple other times, too, where he held on the ball a little too long trying to make a play. And that comes with more experience. He's a young guy. And usually that's, you know, like I said, the more reps you get, you can get your way out of that. And then one more little example of the situational awareness. The clock was running down at the half. I almost put a little, little more on the coaches. They kind of were in no man's land. It was a fourth and five situation. The clock was running about 10, 12 seconds. Snapped the ball. Zach kind of rolled around in the pocket, ran around, finally threw the ball away. 
to a guy for about 15 yard game, but the clock expired before anything else could happen. So they got no points in the half. So just some things like that he's got to recognize and prepare himself better for those kind of situational awareness, trying to get the ball out, trying to get a chance for field goal, get points before the half. So it's something he's got to work on. Tyler, always good insight. Appreciate your time. You got to get some draft stuff out there so people can listen to even more of that kind of talk. So I appreciate your time. Will do. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Mike Rothstein and Tyler Roman for joining me. And thank you for listening. It's a long process, folks. I warn you about that since the spring. Others have as well. And that process isn't always pretty or fun to watch. So I appreciate your patience with me and the show. And thanks to Lono Coffee for their continued support. On the next episode, I'll talk to former NFL general manager Randy Mueller about the rebuilding process and quarterbacks. Plus, a Therapy Thursday mailbag. Talk to you next time.